0: Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house, ready to take your phone calls. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we've got a number for you. That number is one 271 2985 And we'll even give you a uh, pass to the front of the line at one 271 I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubenski. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts, so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade
2: Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and good to be back with you this week. Last week I was in your beloved Florida. You're in Johnette's beloved Florida. But I understand you were uh, in Mexico City for the great feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So we give you that excuse. That's a very, very good excuse to not be in Florida the week I was there. But I was kind of hoping to broadcast while you were there. (laughs) We
1: were gathering uh, with 10 million of our closest friends. There you go. uh, On the uh, the feast. Quite a party. It's really really spectacular. It's, It's like, I mean, we could... We could do a week's worth of shows just on the things that we saw. It was really uh, amazing, inspiring. Uh, the faith of the Mexican people is just crazy, but it's unbelievable. We beautiful, did not beautiful. play bingo on the trip, but this time of year, I think of you whenever I do <laughs> play bingo when the caller says,
2: Oh! Oh, that's right. That's right. We are in the O Antiphon stage of Advent beginning with December 17th through the 25th. You got it, the nine day countdown for a great pre-Christmas novena leading up to the Great Solemnity itself. And so I want to talk about the last third of Advent today. Uh, It's not really exactly appropriate to say the second half of Advent, because it's really two-thirds focusing on the second coming of Christ, the first two-thirds of Advent, and the last third we focus on His first coming, and that all begins on December 17th, and we have a great shift in the liturgical readings, right? So we we said last week when we talked about Advent in general, Jack, that that Advent is a liturgical season of devout and joyful expectation. It focuses on the two comings of Christ, hence the Mass offers two prefaces, one focusing on the general judgment, and one focusing on the nativity of our Lord, so that should tell us a lot right there. Advent is thus divided into two periods, from its beginning, the first Sunday of Advent, to December 16th, and then the second period from December 17th all the way through the 23rd, but also including Christmas Eve, the Mass at night, uh, December 24th, and of course Christmas Day itself for that nine-day novena count. This last one-third of Advent, uh, of the liturgical season of Advent, has us focus on the nativity of our Lord in a very special way, something that the first two-thirds of Advent did not do. Again, especially from December 17th through the 23rd. In fact, both the Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours have special texts assigned for all seven of these days inclusive. Uh, Also, the great o-antiphons are used during this time from December 17th to the 23rd. For example, in the Liturgy of the Hours, Jack, they're used during the celebration of Vespers when they serve as the evening antiphon for the Canticle of Mary, right? And in the Mass, the o-antiphons are incorporated into the Alleluia verse before the Gospel at Holy Mass. So what are the o-antiphons? Well, December 17th, o Sapientia. O Wisdom! December 18th, O Adonai, O Lord of Might! December 19th, O Radix Yesi, O Flower of Jesse's Stem! Uh, The 20th, O Clavis Davidica, O Key of David! The 21st, O Oriens, uh, O Rising Dawn, or Eastern Dawn, huh? Uh, December 22nd, O Rex Gentium, O King of Nations. And December 23rd, O Emmanuel, O God with us. And so lastly, again, it's worth re-mentioning that the great novena of Christmas runs from the 17th through the 25th, inclusive of each year. For those who wish to partake in it, there are no specific texts for it. You can find some great Christmas novenas at some of the Catholic websites uh, online. Uh, You can find one that that suits your your length that you prefer for its its daily doing and so forth. Uh, And although not specifically penitential in nature, as we said last week, Advent is a liturgical season that is to be quiet and reflective. Uh, we see this in that there's no Gloria, for example, when the angels appear to the shepherds on Christmas night. We're waiting to hear the Gloria at the Mass at night, right? So the Gloria is suppressed during the weeks of Advent. Uh, Advent is meant to be a sober and awakening and alert liturgical season in anticipation of our Lord's two comings. And again, in this last one-third period now of Advent, leading up to his birth, we focus in a special way on his first coming. And And these truths, too, are seen in the sacred liturgy. For example, whereas Lent suppresses the Te Deum uh, and the Alleluia and Gloria during the Liturgy of the Hours in Mass, Advent retains the Te Deum, which is prayed after the second reading of the Office of Readings, and Advent also retains the Alleluia. Uh, and let us remember, the sacred liturgy is above all things the worship of the Divine Majesty. So wanting to comb just briefly through these um, These O antiphons, Jack, I do so now with a little explanation of each. Again, December 17th, O wisdom, O sapientia. Coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other, mightily and sweetly ordering all things, come and teach us the way of prudence, O God. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 28. December 18th, O Adonai, uh, the leader of the house of Israel who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law on Mount Sinai, come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 33. December 19th, O root of Yesi, O radix Yesi, standing as a sign among the peoples. Before you, kings will shut their mouths. To you, the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us and delay no longer. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11. December 20th, Jack, O key of David, O clavis Davidica, and scepter of the house of Israel. You open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house. Isaiah 22, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 42. Also is a foreshadowing, is a type or symbol to Matthew 16, 18. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. December 21st, O morning star, or O rising dawn, O Oriens, splendor of light, eternal, and sun of righteousness, come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, quoting Isaiah 9. December 22nd, O king of the nations, O rex gentium, and their desire, the cornerstone making both one, Come and save the human race, which you fashioned from clay. Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 28. December 23rd, O Emmanuel, we know this one. O come, O come, Emmanuel, O God with us, our king and our lawgiver, the hope of the nations and their savior. Come and save us, O Lord our God. So there you have it, from the 17th through the 23rd. Uh, The seven O antiphons that we hear at Mass for the Alleluia verse and also at Vespers for the Antiphon for the Canticle of Mary. Worth mentioning too, Jack, is that in the daily celebration of the Eucharist, uh, we we hear these beautiful antiphons in in gorgeous, gorgeous chants, beautiful chants uh, given us by the Church, again, as that Alleluia verse. And so we rejoice in, in these antiphons getting us ready for the coming of Christ. We rejoice in this beautiful liturgical season of Advent. Last week we talked about Uh, Advent in a general sense, and this week now is our springboard today on the 19th of December. uh, We talk about that that last one-third, which focuses specifically on Christ's first coming. And remember that Advent has a twofold character, we said last week, as a season to prepare us for Christmas when Christ's first coming to us is remembered, and as a season when that remembrance directs the mind and heart to await Christ's second coming at the end of time. Advent is thus a period for devout, and joyful expectation. And remember, too, that Advent kicks off, the new liturgical year, so that first Sunday of Advent a few weeks back was really our New Year's Day, right? Because our our human lives are called to revolve around the, the sacred liturgy and the celebration of the sacraments, right? So really, the first Sunday of Advent was our New Year's Day. We read in the Church's documents on the liturgy, quote, within the cycle of a year, The church unfolds the whole mystery of Christ, recalling thus the mysteries of redemption. The church opens to the faithful the riches of her Lord's powers and merits, so that these are in some way made present for all time, and the faithful are then enabled to lay hold upon them and become filled with saving grace. So again, our lives are called to revolve around the beauty of the sacred liturgy, uh, of which the Eucharist is the source and summit of the entire Christian life. My Advent series this year was titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. My opening talk at all the parish missions this Advent, these last few weeks in Toledo, uh, Ohio, and Turlock, California, and Newport Ritchie, Florida, I said that it's not only a gift and sacrament, the Eucharist, but it's the source and summit of the entire Christian life the Second Vatican Council teaches because our lives are meant to revolve around it.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. You know, Wings is EWTN's weekly e newsletter. You can find out about EWTN radio and TV shows, items from EWTN's religious catalog, and lots more. Sign up for Wings at EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833 288. EWTN is our toll free number. 833 288 3986. First up today, first stop for us, Father Wade, is Oahu. In the Hawaiian Islands, Tiana is a first-time caller, listening at EWTN.com. Tiana, Malakalikimaka.
3: (laughs) Aloha, Malakalikimaka to you as well.
1: (laughs) What can we do for you?
3: Hi. So, I have a question. With the holidays approaching, um, my son has been dating someone for several years who is a non-Catholic, actually non-denominational, and... um, my son is is a good Catholic, of course, and um, I'm looking for a way because he seems to be more passive on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for a way to sort of bridge that conversation with her. I mean, quite frankly, I just want to tell her when I see her next during the holidays. So, how can we help you become a Catholic? You know, um, I just don't know how to how to start that conversation, and so I'm just looking for some tips.
2: Okay, That's great. It. Okay, great. Well, well, thank you. Well. Ideally, we want her to come to you, or to go to your son, uh, her boyfriend, or maybe you said fiancé, uh, to, go to, to go to him or to you and say, uh, you know, I've been thinking about uh, looking more and more at the Catholic faith, what would you recommend? I mean, that's the ideal, right? She's intrigued by how you and your son, who you said practices the faith, lives the faith. Um, that So ideally, that would be the situation. But at the same time, we're called to be evangelizers of the faith. So you want to do it in a way that that's prudent, and in a way that's not taking the baseball bat method, because we're not going to get very far that way. And uh, ideally, you want to just be able to witness about the beauties of the faith that you yourself experience on a regular basis. One thing that I would the conversation with is the beauty of weekly Eucharist and what we believe about the Eucharist. You know, for example, especially this time of year, it's not by accident that St. Luke's Gospel tells us that Mary laid her baby in a manger, right? The, the bread of life, who would self-identify as that in John chapter 6, um, I am the bread of life. Unless you, you you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you his mother placed him in an eating trough, in a manger from the Manduco Latin, the the Latin uh, manduco, which means to chew, or or more graphically, to gnaw, G-N-A-W. In in other words, very graphic, a a chewing, a real eating, in other words. An eating trough is what a manger is. Something as simple as that Uh, as you prepare for the Eucharistic liturgy of Christmas. That's a beautiful thing to touch upon, uh, the the images of Christmas and how that ties into the Eucharist. Um, Also, you know, that the beauty of regular confession, witness to her about confession. Uh, There's all kinds of ways you can approach, especially this Christmas season, on topics that are appropriate. You know, uh, Advent's our new liturgical year, the first Sunday of Advent, because our our lives revolve around the sacred liturgy and its beauty, um, of which the the Eucharist is the center of, right? Um, you could also gift her a good book, uh, a good book on, on the Catholic Church and its history. Um, one one great one that I'm aware of is by Steve Weidenkopf, A Timeless, A History of the Catholic Church. Uh, another one uh, by James Hitchcock, which is very good, A History of the Catholic Church from the Apostolic Age to the Third Millennium. Uh, one that specifically isn't so much about the Church's history per se, but how the Church contributed to Western civilization, how the Catholic Church cons- c- contributed to history, would be uh, Thomas E. Wood's How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. There's also uh, Thomas Cotter's A Concise History of the Catholic Church. Um, also, you know, the lives of the saints. You know, today was the beautiful uh, gospel reading concerning Zachariah and his disbelief um, that foreshadowed his wife's conceiving John the Baptist. Um, and so... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can approach it from the sacred liturgy, inviting her to Mass, which I'm, I'm presuming she probably goes to Mass, at least now and again, if, if not regularly with your son, because your son does practice his faith. Uh, the good news is here is that she's not particularly rooted or grounded uh, in a convicted way uh, with any particular Protestant tenets by virtue of the fact that she's a non-denominational uh, practicing Protestant. Now, I don't know if she goes to a particular non-denominational church, or if she just verbalizes her belief system as that, as being, quote, non-denominational. But uh, whichever one that is, whichever of those two options that is, you know, you want to approach her uh, appropriately. But I would just begin focusing on the Christmas celebration and, and the, the mystery of our God-made incarnate, and and talk about the season of Advent, and just invite her to the Eucharist, and the whole reality of the Eucharist with, with our Blessed Mother and the, the imagery there uh, with our, our Lord being placed in a manger as a type or foreshadowing in the New Testament of the Eucharist that would come to be instituted on the night of the arrest, Holy Thursday night. So great, great question to and I, I I wish you uh, God's providence and the Holy Spirit's wisdom in, in guiding a, what could be a possible future daughter-in-law uh, to uh, looking more closely at the Catholic faith. But ideally, her crossing the threshold to want to enter the faith has to be of her own doing, her own want, her own intellect, her own will has embraced the faith, and that's why she wants to convert. Uh, no one should ever feel coerced to convert in, in regards because of an, a Pending possible marriage or whatever, you know, Uh, that's not the reason to convert. They have to do it because they want to. Otherwise, down the road they could they could leave the faith because their heart was never really in it to begin with. But I'm telling you what, if you get her looking at the sacraments, Tiana, and you get her looking at the lives of the church fathers and what they said about some of the uh, early uh, foundations of the church, especially through the the apostolic witness of the martyrs, uh, you're going to be able to give her much much uh, information on the early church. Go back and listen to the podcast where I list those five or six titles and write them down and read their synopsis online to see if any of those texts, any of those books would be appropriate for her given given your relationship with her. Thank you, Tiana, so much for a great question.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to the Republic of Texas. Joe is in San Antonio listening on Guadalupe Radio. Joe, you're on with Father Wade.
3: Oh well, hi, good afternoon, and uh, glad to talk to you. My question revolves around the practice of intention
1: mm-hmm.
3: My wife and I were serving uh, as Eucharistic ministers this past weekend, and we had a uh, a parish member receive the uh, Holy Eucharist in his hand and then want to dip it into the Holy Blood. And I had heard a while back that that was frowned upon. I've yes. seen priests do it when we receive it at the, at the communion rail, the old... Latin Mass, where his back is facing towards the congregation at times, but as a Eucharistic minister I had never seen it, and I heard it was frowned upon, so that's my question.
2: Yeah, it's it's not either one of those, Joe, it's simply the pastor's call as the pastor of that particular parish. It sounds like the pastor that you and your wife served this last weekend, I'm presuming it's your parish, because you would have to be instituted as an EMC, an Extraordinary Minister of Communion, to be... Be doing that action during the communion rite, so I'm presuming clearly that it's your parish. Uh, your pastor has jurisdiction totally over that call, and it sounds like he only distributes under one species—that that is the sacred body, um, uh, and, and excuse me, both species, the sacred body and, and the blood, and the person who received the precious body in the hand, instead of consuming immediately and coming to receive the chalice, um, separately as a cup after he consumed the consecrated hose. It sounds like after he received the, the consecrated hose in the hand, he continued to hold it, then approached you or your wife, who had the cup of precious blood, and asked permission to intinct it. I would have told him in a whisper, I'm sorry, that is not our custom here, Uh, you will have to consume the the host first, then I will hand you the chalice. That's what I would have said in a whisper, not to embarrass him, not to cause him alarm. For all you know, he comes from a parish that does intinction every week, and he's simply visiting relatives or friends there that weekend at your parish, so he's not... Uh, savvy on these liturgical practices, so he just automatically assumed he could intinct by not consuming the consecrated host immediately, but walking up to you, or maybe it was your wife, with the precious blood. So we have to uh, presume uh, no malice on his part. He could have been sincerely ignorant uh, as to the practice of your parish, where there is no intinction, but there is communion offered under both kinds. So I simply would have whispered something to the effect of, uh, this is not our that is not our practice here at our parish, but if you consume the host now, I will gladly uh, hand you the chalice. That's what I would have said and if if he said that he'd rather not do that, then I would have graciously said i'm I'm sorry then i'm I can't give you the precious blood. It's not our practice or I would say uh, see the pastor. Um, at the end of the communion rite, see the pastor at the end of the communion rite. So, But I don't think it would come to that. Most people will respond with goodwill, especially if they're sincerely ignorant as to a liturgical practicum, a practice, and they'll do the first thing they're told. So thank you so much for a great question, Joe. Does that kind of help you out? Yes, it does. Thank you very much, Father. Okay, you're welcome.
1: 833-288-EWTN, that is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Gene is in Burbank, Illinois, listening at EWTN.com. Gene, you're on with Father Wade.
3: Hi, Father Wade, how are you? Um, I have a question. Our pastor, when he does our early morning mass during the week, and after the gifts are brought up to the altar, the, the wine and the host, and then he goes up back to the altar preparing, taking the um, pall off the chalice and everything. He's singing as he holds the, the the patent up with the host, and he raises the chalice. He doesn't say any prayers, and we never say, um, you know, blessed be God forever. So during the preparation of the altar and gifts, My question is, are those gifts, I mean, is the host and the blood actually um, transformed into the body and blood of Christ, or is it just nothing?
2: Okay, very good question. So in such a case as you describe it, uh, are the bread and wine truly, sincerely, sincerely, Substant transubstantiated into the body and blood of our Lord, really, truly, and transubstantially. Uh, it depends on whether or not he said the actual words of consecration, quote unquote, which is after the offertory. Your question regards only the offertory. Okay, while the if the words of the offertory are said illicitly, uh, meaning against the law with the, what the rubrics call for in the wording but he did the words of consecration validly, you would have a valid but illicit Mass. This is why it's so important for the priest to want to celebrate both a valid and licit Mass. So you're not telling me that during the words of Offertory he's saying the wrong words of the Offertory, all you're telling me is that he's singing them, and because he's singing them, he does not give the congregation the opportunity to respond during the two parts of the Offertory, blessed be God forever. Well, the priest has the option of saying those words out loud or not saying them out loud. So if he chooses to say them solo voce in a low voice, you wouldn't say blessed be God forever anyway. So great question. Hope that answers, uh, answers it for you. 833-288-EWTN. Grab one of these open phone lines. It's
1: Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN Radio family, Catholic Community Radio in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, Louisiana, celebrating 14 years with EWTN. Congratulations to Dave Dawson and everybody at Catholic Community Radio from your friends here at EWTN. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We just talked to Gene, Father Wade, at the end of uh, butting right up against the break there, and maybe not quite as much time as you would have liked to have Mm -hmm. really distinguished between the offertory and the words of consecration.
2: Yeah, so the words of offertory may be said aloud or in a low voice. If they're said aloud, then the people would respond as part of the dialogue, blessed be God forever, after the bread is offered and after the wine is offered. And I say bread and wine at this point, because that's exactly what they are. This is the offertory before the Eucharistic prayer, which has the words of consecration, also known as the words of institution, huh? So uh, if he's singing them, uh, I... I presume uh, that there are, the parts of the Mass can be sung, okay? Now, d- would we do that at a regular Mass on a weekday? Usually that's not the case, but it doesn't mean the priests couldn't do it. Um, so the parts of the Offertory, just like the words of institution, the words of consecration, the, the Eucharistic Prayer itself and its multiple parts, all of these parts can be sung. So um, she said he was singing the parts, and if he was singing the parts, I would think because singing is done aloud, he would give the congregation the opportunity to respond precisely because it 's allowed, even though it is being sung, they could chant back to him in a similar mode, you know, blessed be God forever in a similar mode as he's chanting the words of offertory. but she made it sound like he 's singing straight through, so uh, if that's I the have case, an
1: alternative, I have an alternative. What's that? I think, it sounds to me like he might be singing an offertory hymn. And perhaps, you know, could he sing an offertory hymn and then sort of meditate the words of
2: the offertory, for lack no. of a better term? No, if, that, if that's the case, if that's what she meant, Jack, as you're describing now, which is very plausible, that's what she meant— um, I would say definitely that that is not permissive, because the rubric says either solo voce, low voice, or aloud, and it has to be one or the other. Now, it doesn't mean that an offertory hymn can't be sung before those words of, of offertory, right. of the offertory ritual of the Mass, but it should be it should be uh, said aloud or in a low voice, and if said aloud, for the people to have the opportunity to respond, blessed be God forever.
1: But it... The way she described it, she doesn't have to probably worry about whether or not she's receiving our Lord in communion.
2: I would think not. I would think yeah. not. That she never yeah. said, in fact, that he was saying the wrong words. She just said that all he was doing was singing, and she right. found that odd. Yeah. So, uh,
1: Karen writes in. She says, in a previous show, you mentioned these four spiritual senses, intellect, memory, imagination, and I can't remember the last one. Can you
2: tell me what it was, please? Yeah, she's referring to the faculties of the soul, Uh, faculties. How did she word that again? Spiritual what? Spiritual powers? Uh, She said uh, spiritual senses. Yeah, spiritual senses. Uh, They're actually called, properly speaking, uh, faculties of the soul. From St. Thomas Aquinas, the intellect, the will, the memory, and the imagination. Uh, So those are the four faculties of the soul. The five spiritual powers of the body, what we call the, the the senses of the body, are sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. So because we're a body-soul composite, we have these nine great gifts that we should offer to God daily, for example, in our morning offering. I'm a big advocate of that. I, I preach this, that uh, I thank God daily, the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the five senses of my body, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination. And wanting to offer all nine of these precisely because we're a body-soul composite. I've said this many times on Open Line Tuesday. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches very beautifully that as human persons, we don't have bodies, we are bodies. And we don't have souls as human persons, we are souls. That's how intimate and intricate the body-soul compositeness is in the human person. And then he he takes it one step further. He says, look at it this way, where the angels are non-embodied spirits, the human person is an embodied spirit, right? And that's pretty powerful. So yeah, it's, it's the four faculties of the soul. Great question. 833
1: 288 EWTN. That's our toll free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833 288 3986. Philip is in Indianapolis, listening on Catholic Radio Indy. Philip, you're on with Father Wade.
3: Hi. Thank you, Father Wade. Uh, I really appreciate listen, listening to, to you. And uh, I listen pretty much every day. So. Uh, my question is: I'm still confused. Uh, 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 Doctor David Andrews was explaining it the other night, but uh, I got interrupted and didn't get to hear the explanation. And uh, uh, it's it's about uh, when Jesus was crucified, he descended into hell, and then on the third day he ascended. And I'm confused about. Why he descended into hell?
2: Yeah, don't don't confuse it with the hell of the damned. It's 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 the hell, lowercase h, if you will, because they're they're absent from God's vision of the just who died before Jesus's uh, death and resurrection from the dead, before he fulfilled his Paschal mystery. That four event event of his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Um, and in this case, not even the ascension, because he released them from the uh, the abode of the dead is what we mean by this lowercase h, hell. So there's the hell of the damned, those who go there by their own doing, because as number 1037 of the Catechism tells us, God predestines no one to hell. That's the hell of the damned the Catechism is referring to in 1037. To go there is by one's own doing through purposeful, unrepentant, or non-repentant mortal sin. And just one. A grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of the will. Uh, this other hell that we read about and, and proclaim in the creed, the lowercase h hell, is the abode of the dead, where not those who died in a state of mortal sin went or go, but those who actually died in a state of justice, okay, without mortal sin. Those who died in a state of justice, for example, tradition holds Adam and Eve, for example, uh, uh, the church, the the the, the pre uh, the uh, uh, pre-Christ virtuous pagans like Aristotle and Socrates, we could say, we don't know that for certain, but those who died in a just state, but before the passion, death, resurrection of our Lord, uh, they were released by Jesus uh, when He descended down to them to release them. And this is beautifully given account of at the Easter Vigil during the exalted. You know, uh, it's it's mentioned in part. And uh, also in the Office of Readings during Tenebrae, and also during the Office of Readings during Holy Week, we read about what some of the Church Fathers said about Jesus descending to the abode of the dead, the just who died before our Lord's Passion, Death, Resurrection, and He released them from that abode of the dead, and they were able to enter into heaven. Uh, So don't confuse that with the uh, hell of the damned, which is mentioned in number 1037 of the Catechism. Now, notice we also say he rose again from the dead. Well, what does that again mean, quote-unquote? Well, he rose from the dead, just that, from his three days in the tomb. But before he was manifested to Mary Magdalene, he went down to this abode of the dead to release the just, and then came up from there, and that's the again that the Creed is referring to. I've heard it posited that way by several good authors. So uh, yes, he rose from the dead, but before he was manifested to Mary Magdalene, he went down to the abode of the dead, rose again, quote-unquote, from there, then definitively came in, in physical form in his glorified transfigured state. And appeared not only to Mary Magdalene, but for 40 extra days uh, to those that we read about in the post-resurrection accounts in the Gospels, for example, like to the Doubting Thomas, uh, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, etc. So does that kind of help you out?
3: Oh, that's wonderful.
2: It's wonderful. Thank Great, you so brother, much. Great, brother! You. you were my easiest call of the day! Thank you so
1: much.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-EWTN, that's 3986. Still plenty of time for your phone calls. Dixie called us. She's in Kalamazoo, Michigan, listening on the EWTN app. Dixie, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade.
3: This is Dixie. Hi, um, Dixie. Thanks for your call that...
2: today. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, I tell everybody, you know, that I get a chance to witness to, you know, to um, fight abortion. I tell them God gives you three gifts at the moment of conception. Your very own DNA, genetic makeup, Mm -hmm. that individuates from your mother and father. Similar, but individuates from your mom and dad and your twin. Your very own immortal soul. And your very own, oh, what else?
2: Guardian angel. Guardian
3: angel. Yeah, yeah, at the moment of your conception, you get your very own guardian angel, your very own DNA, genetic makeup, and... um, The soul. Your very own immortal soul. That's right. Oh, guardian angel, soul, and your DNA, genetic makeup.
2: That that statement, as you state it, Dixie, is perfectly in accord with Catholic teaching. Uh, The one thing that the Church doesn't speak on one way or the other, is if the guardian angel can be quote-unquote recycled to another human person after their prior charge of a human person passes away. So there's there's theological conjecture on this. Are are the guardian angels recycled to other human beings, uh, or are they not? And the reason why that's such an important theological question, because there is a certain set of created angels, right? according to creation, the unseen creation, not the physical corporeal world, but the invisible world, right? Which we talk about in the Creed, uh, of all that is visible and invisible. So if he does recycle them, to other human beings after their prior charge, or or charges of human beings have passed away, and he recycles them, meaning God, recycles the guardian angel to other subsequent human beings, there can be an infinitum of, 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 uh, of the guardian angel recycling, which is harder to pinpoint uh, an element of time for the Second Coming of Christ. But if they're not recycled, and there's a set number of guardian angels, and they are not recycled, then once we've gone through them, Uh, there has to be an end to to human persons because uh, they would need guardian angels, and if they're not recycled and they've ended through their cycling and are not reassigned to somebody else, then that means it's very plausible that the second coming of Christ would happen then. So the Church is silent on all this, but I'm just simply telling you why there's theological conjecture, uh, you, can, you can debate it theologically, in other words, uh, pro or con, whether or not the guardian angels are recycled. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas would say that it's, it's, it's something that doesn't need to be answered because it doesn't bear directly on our salvation. Why? Because we know that the human persons who are living and who have lived, even if they've died already, we know that they all had guardian angels definitively individually and definitively. So it's really, does, it's really a question that doesn't bear on our salvation, per se. So, but, but that's the only thing that's not included in your equation, not that it had to be included, you, you, you stated it perfectly. Uh, at, at the conception of each human life, uh, the, the individual human person who's unique, precious, and unrepeatable, to quote JP2, each one has his, own, his or her own soul, his or her own unique DNA, and his or her own guardian angel. Thank you, Dixie, for a great question.
1: Join us for Holy Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel every morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio, 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. We head next to Yakima, Washington. John is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. John, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, Father, on the pulpit.
3: Yesterday or the day before, said it's okay for priests to bless same-sex couples. Uh, all the news, the headlines was uh, that it that the Pope said it's okay to bless same-sex couples. There was an article on a website I go to that said that's not what the Pope meant, and a guy on the radio said uh, that the Pope wouldn't bless Uh, heterosexual couples, unmarried homosexual couples, Uh, what did the... uh, Is that what the Pope meant? Can you...
2: John, I'm so so glad you called, because this is a crucial question. So thank you so much for your call from Yakima, Washington. I want to direct all of my listeners this live hour, and anybody who listens to this hour broadcast after the fact, once it's posted at uh, EWTN.com, In our radio section of the website, and you can get the podcast. I want to direct everybody to two documents. Number one is the document itself that came out from the Vatican. You can find it in the English. It's already been uh, published uh, at the Vatican website at vatican.va. That's www.vatican.va. It's titled Fiducia Supplicans, F-I-D-U-C-I-A. Second word, supplicans, S U P P L I -I 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 K. C A N S. So, Fiducia Supplicans at Vatican.va. It's only 45 paragraphs, and there's only a handful of footnotes, I think 30 some odd footnotes. okay? Uh, by the way, the text title Fiducio Supplicans comes from its, uh, in its opening line, or its incipit in the Latin, its opening line The supplicating trust of the faithful people of God receives the gift of blessing that flows from the heart of Christ through his Church. So that opening line, uh, the supplicating trust of the faithful people of God, supplicating trust is the Latin of that supplicating trust is uh, fiducia supplican. So you can find it at Vatican.va, it's not a long document. It makes very, very clear that we are not permitted to bless unions, but rather individuals to help pull them out of what is an objective state of mortal sin. Objective state of mortal sin, and depending on their awareness of that sin could very well be subjective mortal sin as well. That's the goal here. And he also makes the distinctions in fiducia supplicans, uh, the, the, this very important distinction between liturgical blessings and pastoral blessings. And these blessings of individuals, and remember, a blessing is a sacramental, and one can receive a, sac- a, a, a sacramental, a, a, a blessing is a sacramental, and one can receive a blessing as a sacramental which helps confer actual grace, and one can receive an actual grace while in a state of objective mortal sin. One cannot receive sanctifying grace while in a state of objective mortal sin, but one can receive an actual grace to help pull them towards all that is true, good, and beautiful as revealed by the Bride of Christ, which he founded through the three-legged stool of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. The second document Uh, John, that I want to direct you and all of my listeners to this hour that are listening live, is put out by PillarCatholic.com. That's P-I-L-L-A-R-C-A-T-H-O-L-I-C.com. Again, PillarCatholic.com. They have a fantastic article titled, Fiducia Supplicans. What does it say? Again, the title of the article at PillarCatholic.com, Fiducia Supplicans. What does it say? And they provide an excellent, excellent analysis of what the, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has said uh, about this issue of blessing irregular unions. It's not just uh, couples in a, in a same-sex relationship, Uh, the blessing of those individuals. It's also about the blessing of individuals, again, not the union, but the individuals who say are cohabitating heterosexuals in an active sexual relationship. Uh, Let me just give a couple of of paragraphs here that are very, very good. Um, See, this is an answer. This document from yesterday, December 18th, uh, uh, the document that came out yesterday, Fiducia Supplicans, is to make more concrete a July 2021 uh, responsum that the Vatican put out. The responsum recalls from July that when a blessing is invoked on certain human relationships by a special liturgical rite, it is necessary that what is blessed corresponds with God's designs written in creation and fully revealed by Christ the Lord. For this reason, since the Church has always considered only those sexual relations that are lived out within marriage to be morally licit, And others are not, the Church herself does not have the power to confer its liturgical blessing when that would somehow offer a form of moral legitimacy to a union that presumes to be a marriage or to an extramarital sexual practice. So that was just now quoting the document that came out yesterday, reiterating the statement from 2021 by Pope Francis that it is impossible for the Church. She herself does not have the power to uh, liturgically bless a union, but to offer a blessing that is pastoral, not liturgical, but pastoral over an individual, even if that individual is coupled with somebody else in an illicit sexual union, uh, the individual can receive the blessing as a channel of grace to pull them out of what is objective mortal sin, hopefully to be guided by the Spirit of Divine Wisdom, to guide them into the fullness of truth. That's what's important here, and that's what needs to be uh, stated. For example, in paragraph 31 of this this 45-paragraph document that came out yesterday, Uh, fiducius supplicans, Uh, we read this, in such blessing... in in such cases, excuse me, a pastoral blessing may be imparted that not only has an ascending value of the person asking God, but also involves the invocation of a blessing that descends from God upon those who, recognizing themselves to be destitute and in need of his help, and who do not claim a a legitimation of their own current status in sin, but who beg that all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and their relationships be enriched, healed, and elevated by the presence of the Holy Spirit can receive such a pastoral blessing, not a liturgical blessing, not a formal rit- ritual blessing, and surely not of the union, but of the individual who shows goodwill. The other thing I want to say here is something that Dr. David Andrews echoed last hour, just before my show. Uh, he made it very clear that a priest is not obligated to do to, to do so, give a pastoral blessing to such a couple or individual, uh, and if given to the couple it's imparted individually uh, to guide them out of what's objective mortal sin and an objective sinful state. They're not obligated to, to do so, the priest is not obligated to do so, and must practice pastoral prudence when he does so, right? So for example, the priest could ask the couple who asked the priest for a blessing upon them, the priest could ask them right away, what is your intention for this blessing? Uh, Tell me exactly what I would be blessing. Uh, I I know what I'm permitted to bless, and I very much want to impart that to you. But how do you see it? See, this is where the pastoral prudence comes in, but a priest is not obligated to do so, huh? Uh, And so that's important to remember as well. So again, I want to direct all my listeners to to the Vatican website to to download, it's not a long document, Fiducia Supplicans, F-I-D-U-C-I-A. The second word is supplicans, S-U-P-P-L-I-C-A-N-S, from Vatican.va, And then also at PillarCatholic.com, a great synopsis of that document from the Vatican. And the Pillar Catholic article is titled, Fiducia Suplicans, What Does It Say? Fiducia Suplicans, What Does It Say? Again, PillarCatholic.com. Thank you, John, for a great great question. Next up is Daniel,
1: a first-time caller in Minneapolis, Minnesota, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Daniel, you're on with Father Wade.
3: Hi, Father Wade. Thanks for taking my call. I have a kind of an odd question, and certainly don't mean to be over, overly scrupulous about it. But uh, at our parish, we typically use extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion during the passing of the Eucharist. And I've seen several of them actually blessing uh, small children or those who are in RCIA. Now, having fulfilled that role previously, The priest was very adamant about the fact that we're not ordained ministers and we should not be blessing individuals. Uh, Where do you stand on that?
2: I stand with where the Church stands on it, and that is that the Communion line is not a place for blessing. Uh, it's a place for distribution of holy communion your very question centers on the fact that you have people coming up who are not able to receive for example there's still a catechumen an adult catechumen and by adult i mean you know anybody over the the the, the age of of uh, in, not an adolescent, in other words, but somebody who's not a Catholic, a catechumen who's not a Catholic, who's coming up with their arms crossed. Well, that's not really the place for them to be coming up yet, because they're not in the Church yet. In fact, we we dismiss the catechumens during the sacred liturgy, um, and for the liturgy of the Eucharist we dismiss them. They can be present for the liturgy of the Word, but they're dismissed during the liturgy of the Eucharist, so why would they come up Uh, back up for the, the Communion line. The Communion line has a theology about it, it's for those who are per se in Holy Communion to receive it. So it is not the mind of the Church to give a blessing during the Communion line, it's the mind of the Church to distribute Holy Communion in the communion line. So we, we first, to address your question, we need to address the issue of people coming up with arms crossed. Let's say there is a Catholic fully in the Church, has all three sacraments of initiation—Baptism, Confirmation, Holy Eucharist—but he, he or she has a well-formed conscience, they know they're in a state of objective mortal sin, and they come up for a blessing Uh, with their arms crossed. Well, that's not the mind of the Church. The mind of the Church is for you to be reconciled in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, the ordinary channel for you to have your mortal sin forgiven, then you can get back into the Communion line. In fact, this crossing of the arms to come up and receive a blessing in the Communion line for the person who knows through their good conscience they're in a state of mortal sin actually delays conversion, because they take on the attitude that even though I know I shouldn't receive communion, I can still go up and and get a blessing. Well, that delays them getting back to confession. It defers them getting back to confession. And that's not a good thing. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, terror
1: of demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubenski, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.